0: Well this morning we are um, continuing on our study uh, in the Apostles of Christ. We've seen in previous weeks uh, that there are three biblical qualifications for being an apostle of Christ. Number one, you had to be commissioned by Christ himself. Number two, you had to be able to verify the performance verify your authority with the performance of miraculous signs. And number three, you had to be a witness to the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he chose 12 men as his apostles. And after Judas' death, he was sovereignly replaced with Matthias. And then Jesus appointed Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, the apostle, he makes a list of jesus resurrection appearances and then he states this in verse 8 last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me and paul refers to himself as untimely born because his meeting with jesus took place not only after the resurrection but after the ascension of jesus but he links it with the other encounters showing that it was just as much a valid witness of the bodily resurrection as all the others were but take note of the fact that he said last of all last of all right that's it after paul the lord jesus did not and will not physically appear to anyone else and that point alone shows that there have not been any true apostles of christ since the end of the first century and it's important to know that because as we've talked about over the previous weeks there are many today who would profess otherwise. Now we've picked up this study on the apostles as we've been working our way through Mark's gospel and so at this point the apostle Paul is not in focus and our eyes are fixed on the 12. So far we've looked at the apostle Peter, the apostle James and John. These are men that many of us will be more familiar with Although, it has been incredibly fascinating to delve deeper into the scriptures to learn more about them, to be challenged ourselves by the lessons they learned at the feet of our Lord. Today, however, we begin looking at the men who are less familiar to us. But that doesn't mean that they're any less important. They were all made the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. And because of that, it does the church good to know who these men are and to see how God worked through them. In looking at their lives, we see the grace of God and our eyes are focused ever more keenly and tightly on our Lord Jesus, whose appointment of these men means the gospel was publicly proclaimed and then physically preserved for us, in the pages of scripture this morning we'll look at the next three men in mark's list andrew philip and bartholomew who as we'll see was also known as nathaniel may god bless our time together now so first up is the apostle andrew As we saw last week, there seems to be three distinct groups of four within the Twelve Apostles. And that first group included Simon Peter, James, and his brother John. But while Jesus spent more decided time with these men, there was a fourth who was also privileged to be part of some significant moments in Jesus' ministry. And that is Andrew, who is commonly referred to as Simon Peter's brother. Well turn back with me in Mark to chapter 1 if you're there already. Mark 1 and then in verse 16 we see that Andrew is with Peter and James and John when Jesus first calls them by the sea of Galilee to become fishers of men. Andrew was with these men when in verse 21 Jesus entered the synagogue in Capernaum and taught with power and he demonstrated his authority by casting out a demon later that day from verse 29 we read that Andrew James and John were there to witness Jesus heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law an event which then sparked a mass gathering of people later that evening to be healed by Jesus now although Andrew's name is not mentioned in Luke chapter 5 uh, I think it's highly probable that He was with his brother and James and John when Jesus brought about that miraculous catch of fish which revealed his glory and his power and his holiness to the disciples. And from that point on, Jesus would now make them fishers of men. And we've seen that in previous weeks. There is one more time in the Gospels that we see Andrew with the other three. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark 13, we see that in the Passion Week... Jesus made a declaration that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed and it's these four men who are privileged to hear Jesus' words on this matter. Now it's interesting that Andrew is part of this four and yet at other significant moments he's not included when Jesus takes Peter, James and John. Now, if James and John struggled with the perception of being second and third fiddle to Peter, it's certainly possible that Andrew struggled being left out of the other three. But from the various statements in the Gospels, it seems that all the apostles prior to the resurrection struggled with how they were viewed in their closeness to Christ. Occasions may arise in our own lives when we are tempted to think, Of ourselves as closer to or further from jesus than other people and that's either going to breed arrogance or it's going to breed resentment as we see in the lives of the apostles before christ's death and resurrection but we need to understand that all believers stand in faith by god's grace alone all we have is by the grace of god And only after the resurrection and ascension of Christ did the apostles learn that fully. But the New Testament, which came about through their authoritative witness, is their Holy Spirit-inspired word to us. They let us in on those moments before the resurrection where they struggled to understand this. reminds us that we are to boast in Christ alone. While Andrew did not write any of the words of Scripture, Acts 2.42 tells us that the early church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching, which certainly included the input of Andrew. Well, this gives us a broad perspective. But what can we learn more specifically about Andrew's attributes? Who is this man? There are two moments in the Gospels that give us insight into this apostle of Christ. And the first is in John chapter 1. So please turn with me in your Bibles there. John chapter 1. We're going to look from verse 35 in a moment, but this is the first moment that Andrew encounters Jesus before Jesus called him by the Sea of Galilee. In fact, John chapter 1 is chronologically the first time we learn about Jesus' encounters with those who would become his chosen apostles. It's the first time. In John 1, after the the prologue of verses 1 to 18, attention is then given to John the Baptist, the divinely appointed witness to the Lord Jesus' arrival. Now John was busy telling everyone that the Messiah was about to come and then when Jesus arrives john starts telling everyone especially his own disciples that's him that's the guy that i've been speaking about and so we see from verse 35 the next day again john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of god the two disciples heard him say this and they followed jesus so how do these disciples of john respond they go and investigate continuing with verse 38 jesus turned and saw them following and said to him said to them what are you seeking and they said to him rabbi which means teacher where are you staying and he said to them come and you will see so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour one of the two who heard john speak and followed jesus was andrew simon peter's brother so in obedience to the testimony of john the baptist these disciples seek out jesus and jesus invites them come and see we'll see that statement recur in a moment he invites them to come and see to spend the entire afternoon with him the the 10th hour meant it was about four o'clock in the afternoon And so it was a chance to be with him, talking with him, listening to him. Now, some might try to take from these words that sinners can seek Jesus in their own strength. But Romans 3.11 tells us that no one seeks for God. That's pretty clear. Now, these men sought Jesus because God had already sought them. They'd already been touched by the grace of God the spirit had regenerated their hearts and enabled them to obey the words of john the baptist they were part of the true israel they were believers under the old covenant jesus is the goal of the old covenant and so their willingness to seek him shows god's grace already at work in their lives now just as an aside who was the other disciple with andrew the evidence is very much in favor of it being the gospel writer himself john one of the sons of zebedee john never references his name directly throughout the gospel he wrote and the specific mention that it was about the 10th hour as well as the consistent mention throughout the first chapter of the next day the next day the next day supports the fact that this is eyewitness testimony john knew exactly what happened because he was there but the focus here is not on john it's what andrew then did and the first thing he did after leaving jesus was to go and find simon from verse 41 he first found his own brother simon and said to him we have found the messiah which means christ and he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon the son of john you shall be called cephas which means peter andrew's joy in finding the messiah was expressed in going and telling his brother going to simon and bringing him to jesus i was once many years ago at a a state church youth camp where i almost fell off my chair when the speaker told the audience that it was wrong to think you had to go and evangelize after being a Christian. That idea was bunk, according to him. It was a cool way of saying it was wrong. I guess he was talking to teenagers at the time. Now, I think, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, I think he did so because he didn't want the kids to feel they had to do something to be accepted by Jesus. And in one sense, that is true. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone but jesus himself gave the church the great commission and to not be involved in evangelism is to be disobedient to christ however the force that is to drive christians to evangelize is not primarily fear of disobeying christ but our love for christ why did andrew go and immediately tell his brother about jesus because he was so excited about what he had found in jesus that he couldn't help himself in telling others the more we know of christ the more our love for christ grows and the more we have a desire to tell others that they might taste christ's love as well and the apostle andrew demonstrates this wonderfully to us There is a second moment that illustrates Andrew's character. So turn with me to chapter 6 of John's Gospel. Jesus is with his disciples on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When a large crowd appeared, having followed them around, they were all enamoured because of the signs that Jesus was performing. And Jesus shows the crowd great compassion by teaching them and healing all who were sick But as the evening approached, the 12 were worried that they were in a desolate area and so they told Jesus to send the crowds away so the people could find lodging and and food in the surrounding towns. But Jesus, he put it back on the 12 to solve the problem, telling them to provide the crowd with food. And he was clearly aiming for the disciples to recognise at the same time both their human limitations and jesus limitless divine power john records in chapter 6 verses 8 and 9 one of his disciples andrew simon peter's brother said to him there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish but what are they for so many here again we see andrew bringing people to jesus now the crowd has not come prepared but at least one boy hasn't eaten all his lunch that day. Yet the size of this boy's offering only serves to highlight the impossibility of the situation before them. And Andrew is fully aware of it. At this moment, Andrew recognizes clearly their human limitations, but it does not cause him nor any of the others to see the power of Christ who is God incarnate feeding up to 20,000 people estimates would put right there, feeding up to this many people would certainly not be a problem for the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. Andrew's lack of recognition here serves as a reminder to the moments in our lives when we doubt the power of God. How can we possibly make it through this situation? How can we possibly Survive. The odds seem all against us. We need to trust that since God is sovereign, He has the power to bring all His promises to pass. And even to the worst of moments, even when we die, not even death itself disrupts God's plans to bring His sons and daughters to glory. So, if that is the case for the worst situation that we face, It is certainly true for everything that falls short of it. Andrew was a man whose knowledge and love of Jesus stirred him to bring others to Jesus. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, he struggled, along with the other apostles, to understand fully who Jesus was. Andrew knew he was the Messiah, but Jesus was still revealing to them what being the Messiah truly meant. Andrew could not grasp Jesus' identity identity truly at that time, but after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, he and the other apostles certainly did. Well, that brings us to the apostle that Mark lists next, the man called Philip. There are two disciples called Philip in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we read in chapter 6 that a man called philip was part of the seven men appointed by the apostles and his name appears several times throughout that book of acts but the apostle philip is only mentioned by name in the gospels so turn with me back to john chapter one after andrew john and peter's interaction with jesus We're told what happened the following morning. So, from verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. What's different in this account to the previous day? While we recognize God's grace and his providence at work in Andrew being with John the Baptist right there when Jesus walks past, here in verse 43, we're left in no doubt as to Jesus' sovereignty. Philip experiences what Peter, Andrew, James and John would at a later point. He experiences the direct call of Christ to discipleship. Jesus' words in John 15 ring loudly and clearly when he said to all the apostles in the upper room, you did not choose me but I chose you. And how does Philip respond? Again, with obedience. And he also responds like Andrew did. The first thing he did was go and tell his friend about Jesus. From verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of joseph nathaniel said to him can anything good come out of nazareth philip said to him come and see Now we'll address nathaniel's words later but for now just note that philip's response to nathaniel's objection is to implore him to come and see he called nathaniel to come and check out jesus for himself like jesus Called to the others earlier. Come and see. Philip provides an important model for us in evangelism, just as Jesus provided that model a few verses earlier. Philip wasn't antagonistic to his friend. He wasn't divis- defensive, divisive. He he simply asked him to come and see. In effect, what Philip was doing was challenging his friend to make an informed decision. If Nathaniel rejected Jesus as the Messiah after he had met him then that would be his prerogative but to reject him out of hand would be simply irrational, unreasonable. It's quite ironic that in the antagonistic secular land that we live in today those who shout the loudest that faith is irrational and unreasonable are often the ones who have done the least research into the truth claims of the Bible. So we would do well to follow Philip's example and encourage non-believers to investigate Jesus. And today that means opening up the Bible and studying the pages of Scripture. Well, Philip next appears in John's recording of Jesus' spectacular food miracle in chapter 6, So turn with me again, John 6. We've already seen Andrew's contribution to the discussion, but before that, Jesus singled out Philip. John 6, verses 5 to 6. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus wasn't stumped by the situation. He knew full well he was about to reveal his glory once more by powerfully creating enough food to feed these 5,000 men and much, much more for the women and children not mentioned. Jesus used this as a teaching moment. He used this situation to mature the faith of his apostles, to help them understand more about who he really is. And how did Philip go in this test? Verse 7 Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Just like Andrew, he recognized the limitations. Philip knew the apostles had no human ability to produce enough food 200 denarii was approximately eight months wages so even if the apostles had that sort of money in their treasury account and even if they could access it by the local atm it was not going to make a dent now that of course is the right response they needed to recognize their limitations but as we've seen it was only half of the response that jesus was looking for the apostles needed to see their limitations yes and of course so do we but they also needed to see the mighty power of god and again so do we we learn more of philip in john chapter 12 so turn with me to chapter 12 after jesus had entered jerusalem at the start of the passion week we're told that the pharisees were up in arms about the massive appeal of jesus to the crowds so john 12 verse 19 the pharisees said to one another you see that you are gaining nothing look the world has gone after him and they were right too not only were many jews following jesus but gentiles possibly converts to judaism these gentiles these greeks were coming to him as well the whole world has gone after him so verse 20 now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some greeks so these came to philip who was from Bethsaida in galilee and asked him sir we wish to see jesus now here is a second reference to philip being from Bethsaida. the first being back in john chapter 1 What does that tell us? Well, Bethsaida was in Galilee. It was at the top of the Sea of Galilee and slightly to the east. If you headed around the eastern side of the sea and went directly south, you would have passed through the Decapolis, which was a region of ten Greek cities. So perhaps these Greeks came to Philip because he was known to them personally through business, or perhaps his personality was familiar to them, like you know how people are naturally drawn to others of a similar background oh you're from mafra let's have a conversation either way philip was approachable remember he was a guy who was first introduced to us in the scriptures as one who eagerly brought people to jesus and what does philip do he speaks to another apostle from that same area And another apostle known for his desire to bring people to Jesus as well. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now it seems that both men were a little unsure of how to approach the situation. But they allowed Jesus to decide on the matter. And their faithfulness opened an opportunity for Jesus to teach declaring especially in verse 32 and i when i am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself it was a statement affirming that salvation was not limited to one race of people but to anyone who would respond to jesus in repentance and faith and so here is a wonderful example of allowing jesus to be the adjudicator you know we are going to come across all sorts of situations as christians in which we are stumped at what to do but we can trust that in the bible we've been given everything we need for life and godliness and that god's written word is able to make us complete equipped for every good work must allow christ's word to guide us in all things turn with me to john 14 And there's one final reference to Philip that we can look at. This is in the upper room. Chapter 13, Jesus had explained to the apostles that one of them would betray him and then told them that he's going away and that they cannot come with him. Begins chapter 14, telling them not to be afraid because it's for their benefit that he goes and that he's going to come back again to bring them to be with him in his father's house. And then he makes that stunning declaration in verse 6 that we know so well i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me now all roads might have led to rome but all religions do not lead to the one true god jesus brings this home to the apostles verse 7 if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him so jesus is the only savior because he's not only the way to the father he perfectly reveals the father this is what john has presented throughout his gospel but to take just one example john chapter 10 verse 30 records jesus incredible statement i and the father are what one coming back to chapter 14 verse 7 basically summarizes all that has come before to know the son is to know the father now unfortunately the magnitude of that declaration is halted by one of the apostles not quite getting it and this time it is Philip verse 8 Philip said to him Lord show us the father and it is enough for us philip hadn't grasped the fact that in jesus he had seen the father how does jesus respond verse 9 jesus said to him have i been with you so long and you still do not know me philip whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father you can sense a twinge of sadness in jesus words see part of the reason jesus had chosen the apostles was that they might be with him and that by being with him, they would come to see who he truly was. And so, in the next few verses, Jesus calls, atten- calls Philip's attention to the words and to the works, the miracles uh, that Jesus had done. Because these were signs that affirmed Jesus' true nature that he was in the Father, and that the Father was in him. We might ask is this a failure on Jesus' part that his apostles didn't get it yet? the answer is no if people don't grasp the things of god it's not a failure on god's part but it's a failure on our part and that was just as true for the apostles in that moment but we also recognize that jesus glory was fully revealed to them through his death and resurrection through those events the lights came on think of thomas's declaration when seeing the risen christ my lord and my god nevertheless philip's statement to jesus here in john chapter 14 does display his deep desire to see and to know god it's reminiscent of moses back in exodus 33 when when he declared to god show me your glory this is a desire that all true believers exhibit and from this side of the resurrection we recognize that to see and know the son is to see and know the father philip's desire to know god and his desire to bring others to god through faith in christ jesus is a tremendous example for us to follow we have one more apostle to look at this morning and that man was called both Bartholomew and Nathanael. In the Synoptic Gospels, he is referred to as Bartholomew. And in John's Gospel, his name is Nathanael. Now there's no doubt that both names refer to the same man because in the lists of the apostles, Bartholomew's name is usually listed after Philip. And in John chapter 1, it's Philip that brings Nathanael to see Jesus. Now, why are the two names? Well, Nathanael is his personal name, while Bartholomew is his Hebrew surname. It's just like in Matthew 16, verse 17, where Jesus says to Simon Peter, "'Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah.'" Bar, meaning son of. So Simon Bar-Jonah was Simon the son of Jonah. And comparatively, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, is son of Ptolemaeus. So Nathaniel Bartholomew is Nathaniel, son of Ptolemaeus. Both words referring to the same man. The only references that tell us about this man are in John's gospel. And so we're just going to refer to him now as Nathaniel to keep ourselves on track. Please turn with me to John chapter 1 again. This is very familiar territory this morning. Obviously a lot happened in John chapter 1. After Jesus found Philip, we're told what Philip does next. John 1 verses 45 to 46. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nathaniel said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth Philip said to him come and see Philip's zeal is met with Nathanael's skepticism Nathaniel was a sorry na- Nazareth was a small town in Galilee and it was it was a byword in the first century if they had tracks it would be the town on the other side of of the town that is on the other side of the tracks john 21 verse 2 tells us that nathaniel was from cana which was another town in galilee and so even people from galilee despised nazareth but nathaniel's actions after his initial response show that he is a man of integrity he doesn't let his presumption stop him from investigating this jesus for himself nathaniel exemplifies the rationality of the christian faith he didn't come to follow christ despite the evidence against him he came to follow christ because of the evidence for him nathaniel's integrity is affirmed in verse 47 jesus saw nathaniel coming toward him and said of him behold an israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit jesus knows all men and he knew what was in the heart of nathaniel now he wasn't saying that nathaniel was sinless it simply means that nathaniel didn't have any hidden agendas in coming to investigate the claims about jesus for himself he didn't come trying to trick or to trap jesus now this stands in direct contrast to the patriarch jacob the one whose name god changed to israel jacob was the poster boy for deception having swindled away his brother esau's birthright but this was not part of nathaniel's character he was an israelite with integrity and jesus insight into this puzzled nathaniel verse 48 nathaniel said to him how do you know me jesus answered him before philip called you when you were under the fig tree i saw you Jesus' supernatural knowledge is one of the many instances in Scripture that affirm his divinity, that he is God incarnate. And Nathanael's response shows he has understood Jesus' comments for what they are. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, of course, this was only the beginning for Nathanael of understanding what those titles truly meant but this display of faith is commended by jesus and there is the promise that in jesus presence nathaniel would come to see much much more verses 50 to 51 jesus answered him because i said to you i saw you under the fig tree do you believe you will see greater things than these and he said to him truly truly i say to you you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, these words of Jesus connect Nathanael's encounter even more fully to his ancestor Jacob, the man called Israel. In Genesis 28, we're told of Jacob's dream. Genesis 28, verse 12, we read of Jacob And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of god were ascending and descending on it now do you notice what is different about jacob's dream and the words of jesus in jacob's dream there is a ladder by which the angels are ascending and descending from earth to heaven but what does jesus say is there any ladder in his words no Jesus tells Nathanael that he will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the mediator between heaven and earth. He is the means of access between divinity and humanity. It's through Jesus' incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that sinners gain access to God not only through faith in jesus christ can a person's sins be forgiven can a person be credited with christ's righteousness and have peace with god nathaniel believed in jesus upon the evidence that he had to that point on this side of the cross and the resurrection how much more evidence do we have for faith in christ we have the sufficient word of scripture We have the whole account of the events of Jesus' life and ministry. We have that in connection to the Old Testament, which shows how Jesus fulfills all of those prophecies. We have the account of the apostles' work as they established the church through the power of the Spirit after the ascension of Jesus. We have the apostles' Holy Spirit-inspired interpretations of all that God has done for unbelievers nathaniel's integrity is an example to show that christians do not believe in fairy tales but in evidence and truth and in the scriptures evidence abounds now if you're here today and you you are not a believer in the lord jesus christ you might have been coming here for years but you know deep down that you're not a believer in christ i encourage you to follow nathaniel's example come and see and investigate don't rest on your laurels investigate and if jesus is truly who he says he is then repent and believe now for others you might who might not believe or visiting here today but you are investigating so i encourage you to keep investigating the truth of christ for us who do believe the actions of nathaniel provide us with a an account to share with others who are resistant to christ our plea is firstly the plea of philip for them to come and see and if they resist we can then point them to the example of nathaniel who did not let his initial misgivings stop him from examining the claims concerning jesus and in recognizing jesus as the son of god but nathaniel also shows believers how we are to continually live out our lives as christians we don't come to the bible to prove our points but coming openly investigating the truth as it is revealed and allowing our understanding to be critiqued by what we read we sit under the authority of the scriptures because it is god's word to us and in reading the scriptures we allow christ to reveal himself as he truly is so that's andrew philip and nathaniel bartholomew next time we meet we'll learn about matthew and thomas let's pray lord we thank you that we stand before you in your grace by your grace we have nothing to boast in but your mercy towards us your goodness and the salvation that is found through belief in your one and only son the lord jesus christ we thank you for the time we always spend today looking at some of the apostles the men you chose to be your authoritative delegates on this earth to be the foundation of the church help us to appreciate the ordinariness of these men, yet the extraordinary work of your power within them, Father. We we think particularly of the evidence this morning of, uh, or the example this morning of these men and their their willingness to bring people to Jesus out of their love for you and for others. And Father, we thank you for the words we've seen about Nathaniel. His example shows us that Christianity is not based on fables, but that our faith is based on truth and evidence. Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you would just bring within us a deep heart, a deep desire for others to come to know the love that we have found in Christ. Thank you for all that we've been learning throughout this study so far, and we just pray it continue to, Open our hearts and minds as we look to these further apostles in the coming weeks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.